Today's scripture is from James 1, verses 19 through 27. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and afterward, or in, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, blessings. My name is Chad Lewis. I'm a pastor here. And as we continue through the book of James, we remember the context is with a lot of persecution. There's no religious freedom. There are people being uh, put in prison, driven away from their homes, some killed for their faith. And here on Memorial Day weekend, we do want to pause and remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be in the land of the free. And I told the story in the first service. Uh, a couple years ago, my grandma, uh, who was a matriarch of our family, passed away. And we were going through her little house in Hastings, Oklahoma, which used to be a farming community. And there's actually more people in the cemetery now than in the town. It's just dwindled away. Um, but you can still sing the musical Oklahoma, where the winds come sweeping down the plains. Um, it's a musical. It's a good one. So you should check it out if you don't know it. But I was, I was really zealous in looking through all this stuff because small house, but in every nook and cranny, she had these boxes that hadn't been opened for uh, some of them 40, 50 years, I would bet. And so I was opening them up and I was finding all these treasures. My great-grandfather, Daddy Bud, had his letterman jacket letters in there and a picture of him with a leather helmet without a face mask. And I found a lot of World War II stuff from my grandfather, Renzo, who passed away when I was uh, 11. And so being a student of American history and just being fascinated with uh, wars and all the different things, I'm still blown away as I study World War II, uh, men and women in interviews 60 years after the war will just shed tears and have raw emotions from friends they lost in, on the battle front. And the reality that there have been many who've given their lives so that we can have the freedom to gather here today, the freedom to worship God, the freedom of speech. And so I want to pray and remind us that even veterans in our midst and spouses, there are many who have lost loved ones um, in the time of war and in the military, and we want to just remember their sacrifice and um, remember that many are hurting during this time. So let me pray for, for them and for us. Father, we do thank you for the freedom that you've given us here in this country, Lord, and I pray that it would continue to be protected. I pray that, Lord, for those 
as we celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, we'll, we'll mourn the loss of friends, family, Lord, loved ones, that you would comfort them, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, and that you would continue to protect us and provide. Lord, you are the, the giver of every good gift, Lord, and relationships are so important, Lord, and it, it hurts so much to lose people. But Father, in the midst of it all, I pray that we would look to you, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we're continuing with the book of James, and we we're saying this series has a name that has a twofold meaning. It's faith works. Faith actually produces works. As we put our faith in God, as we grow, as we mature in Christ, we'll see fruit coming from our lives. It'll be doing stuff, not just saying stuff. And in the other sense, we say faith works in the sense that this life that God calls us to, it does work. It actually leads to a life of flourishing. And we want to keep in mind the context of, of these, these verses that we'll look at today, because it's real easy to be able to look at verses like today and really shift into checklist Christianity. It's like if you find someone who's angry, you'd say, don't be angry. And they're like, I'm not angry. And you say, you are angry. You're angry. And then you get angry at them being angry, and then you're both not hitting the checklist. But it's really looking at matters of the heart and what does it look like to be transformed at a heart level. So this faith that we're talking about, we, we heard last week that trials inevitably lead to temptation. When we're suffering, we're tempted to doubt God's goodness, and we move towards all sorts of stuff. But the foundation that we want to continue to come back to is, is in chapter 1, 16 through 18, when James writes, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us, that's his desire, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so when we think about today's passage, don't be angry, be quick to listen. Throw away the things of the world, do this other stuff. We wanna remember once again, God is our creator. He knows what's best for us. He knows what we were created for. He knows what will bring fulfillment and joy to our souls. And he sees the big picture, doesn't he? Past, present, and future. He knows that our days are much more than just what we live here on this earth. We're created for eternity, but eternity's now. And what does it look like to participate in what he has best for us now? And so the questions we continue to ask, is God good? And we say, yes, but then we say, is God good to me? Does he have good gifts for me? And so with the foundation, if we may say, God is all good. God is all powerful. He knows what's best. Let's look into this passage today and say, Lord, show us what you would have us to learn. Verse 18 again, he chose, this is his choice. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And we're going to be focusing on the word of truth today, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And these first fruits, uh, in the, in the Jewish world and in the Old Testament would be offered up to God. He'd take them, he'd delight in the sacrifices and he delights in us. Verse 21 is what we're gonna center around today. This admonition, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And we know about the salvation that it, it, the gospel shares that we can't be saved in and of our own selves, but that God has made a way for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so there's salvation through that. 
But there's also a sense of, of saving through this world, saving us from destruction, the things that will lead us down paths that are not what God calls us to, that are not life. And so let's remember, once again, as we're looking at the word, I'm remembering, God, you're good, you're powerful, more than I could ever imagine in both those categories. You're the very definition of those. And so I want to say, Lord, with your word, humbly shape me and may I be liberated. So the three points in your outline is to be humbled by the word, to be shaped by the word, and to be liberated by the word. So let's talk about being humbled by the word. Verse 19 again, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It can't do it. It can't do it. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. So that's a getting rid of, getting rid of and humbly accept the word planted in you. That's a receiving, which can save you. And when we look at the descriptions of these two peoples, we know these two people, we know we don't want to be the angry person. We don't want to be slow to listen. We don't want to be reactionary in our, in our actions with people, right? We don't want to be eaten up on the inside, self-focused. And we know in Ephesians 4, Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. And he goes on to say, don't let the devil get a foothold. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we know that Jesus was angry without sin. It's probably pretty rare, though, that we as, as humans are angry and it doesn't lead to sin if it, if it continues to fester. And so we don't want to be reactionary. We don't want to be self-focused. We don't want to demand our rights all the time. And I, it was interesting as I was preparing the sermon this week, uh, on Friday, I was going home, feeling all right, turned from Ambridge onto Westport and driving my truck. And so I hear this honking going on behind me. And I kind of look in the side view mirror and I'm watching and there's this little bitty car with a, I could tell it's just, it looks like a 16 year old little girl driving and this huge SUVs behind it, swerving, honking some guy in it. And so they're pulling up beside me and she obviously had done something. I didn't see what happened, but she had done something to make him upset. Uh, but he was weaving, laying on the horn, and man, it struck something in me. And I feel the anger rise. And so they, she's trying to get away from him. He's swerving. And I'm like, dude, there's people driving here. And so I pull up beside him while I'm driving. You never know what you're going to say in that moment. It doesn't really matter because the windows are up anyway. But I said with great emphasis and with a hand motion, I said, dude, chill out. I probably looked more intense than I did right then. I was like, why did I say dude, chill out? But I was mad because it's like, I'm sure he, she had done something wrong, but you don't do that, man. He's weaving all over the place. There's people here, there's school buses. It's a crowded road. I'm like, dude, get a hold of yourself. And then I was wondering, I wonder if that guy's here this morning. That would be funny. Because he, he, he whipped around and then pulled off the side and actually ended up going the way I was going. So it looked like I was following him for a while. I don't know if he thought I was following him. Uh, but that anger, I can't believe that guy. Can't believe it. I can't believe it, can I? Because once he drove away, what I was left with was myself and my anger. 
And just pondering, and since I'm preaching on this, it's right in my face. I'm like, Lord, why am I so angry? Why am I so angry? There was a nanosecond where we had pulled up to a red light, and I was like, I hope this dude gets out of the car and starts yelling at her. I'm like, no, I don't. God, how foolish is that, man? How foolish is that? But it's right to want to protect someone and everything else. But where I went after that, there was much sin. And I was just dialoguing with the Lord, and it didn't feel con- condemning or anything. But I was like, Lord, why am I so angry? Why am I angry? And then 15 minutes later, when I arrived home, I'd simmer down a little bit. And it was just like, Lord, thank you that I'm not enslaved to anger. But Lord, please continue to change my heart. Because there's times where I am angry and do sin. And I don't want to be that person. I know that doesn't lead to the righteousness of God, that he desires. He looks at me and says, Chad, I want what's best for you. And that's not what's best for you to be eaten up with anger inside. That's not what's best for you. So what do we do? We look at the other person and it's like, this person is differentiated. They're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And I think about in my tenure here at at Sojourn, over 11 years, this has only happened probably two, three times where someone has been uh, upset with something I did ever. No one's really ever upset with me. But no, where they were so upset where they started yelling at me or chewing me out. And so there's a part of you, it's like, okay, this person's gonna yell at me. But in those moments to be able, by God's grace, just say, hey, I'm not gonna be yelled at. This meeting's over. If you wanna calm down, we can reconvene this conversation later but it's time to go. And that's okay, right? But I want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, not hit reaction with reaction. That never helps anything. But to be able to say, Lord, by your grace, may I be a person who is described there in James. So how do we fight the temptation of anger when anger comes? Because anger is like anxiety. It's like a lot of things. It can be existing inside and it, it, there may be nothing to be angry about, but it's got tentacles and it reaches out and just latches onto something. My anxiety is like that. It's like, I, I don't even know what to be worried about, but I feel anxious. I need to pick something. Oh, I think there's a sound in my car. I, I'm anxious about that now. But it just, it, it just festers inside. Well, the movement is in verse 21, where James says, humbly accept the word planted in you. And I like the ESV translation. It's, it's the same language that Paul uses about putting off the works of the flesh and putting on the spirit. It's therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then he says, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness. And last summer we were going through the fruit of the spirit and we talked about the gentleness uh, word in that passage really is meekness. It's the same word that's used when Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11, when he says, come, come to me, you tired, heavy laden, come, I'll give you rest. And he describes his heart as meek and humble. And we talked about how the core virtue for this meekness, which is gentleness with strength, is humility. And we know in Philippians 2, that Paul says, have the same attitude in you that's in Christ Jesus. Though equal with God, humbled himself and came. He didn't hold on to the rights of king. He he laid them down and was humbly born in a manger. And to say, Lord, 
if this is the core virtue of, of what I'm called to be, the core of Christianity to say, I surrender, I surrender all my life. Lord, I say, my brain says this, my feelings say this, but you say this, I wanna surrender to that because you know what's best. To humbly receive, and I think this humbling is twofold. I think this humbling is those of us, and I think it's all of us all the time. We seesaw back and forth. There are times we think way too much of ourselves and we're like, I got this. I got this. I don't need help. We can look at John 15, five, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And then we cut it right there and where it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you say, no, I got this. And even though we might intellectualize and say, no, I, I, I know what that means. We function by saying, I got this on my own. I'm gonna do this on my own. And I think there's another type of humbling where we can read that passage and we think so low of ourselves, we're like, God's never gonna use me to bear fruit. There's no way. I'm such a loser. There's no way God can use me. And there's a humbling to that. And both of them require a laying down of emotions, a laying down of rights to say, Lord, I want to believe more what you say about me. And what you say is this is who I was. I was lost. I was dead in my sin. I was in the domain of darkness. But now I've been transferred into your kingdom of light and I'm your beloved child. And you say you give good gifts and you have what's best for me. Lord, do you have good for me in this situation? It's hard to believe. I want to receive that with humility. In both instances, we are called to be humble. And this idea of receiving with meekness, this receiving the word, it's not like you're receiving a ticket when you're driving too fast. Ambridge, once again, if you're driving on Ambridge, they have speed traps set up all the time. You gotta be careful. The speed limit's three miles an hour. Don't go four, they'll get you. It's pretty slow. It, it's it's uh, jarring, it's so slow, going 25 miles an hour, but it's good to do. But it's not like that. That's not what we're talking about receiving. When he says receive this implanted word, it's like receiving a, a welcomed guest, maybe a friend who hasn't been around for a long time. And you're like, oh, this is gonna be great. We get to share stories and life and food and laugh and be together. This receiving of God's word is a receiving saying, this is what's best for me. I want it, bring it on. And we remember this word that we are called to receive is alive. Peter puts it like this, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. This word will last forever because it's the words of God. It's not just because it's written down or because it's in a book. It's, it's from God. His word is eternal truth. His ways are eternal ways, and they'll last forever. So the first thing, the first movement is we want to look to the word and say, Lord, I am not over your word saying, I'll take this, I'll take this. I'm under your word and its authority, and I want to submit to it and say, Lord, your ways are best. I may not understand, but I want to move in that direction. I'm under the authority of the word. So that movement of humility, then we can talk about being transformed, being shaped by God's word. And that's the second point. James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. 
We'll take the different parts of that in a moment, but let's once again remember, this is the power of God's word to be able to show us and expose us, to be able to read our thoughts and, and intentions of our hearts. As the author of Hebrews says, he says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so as we come to the word and we're saying, Lord, your word here, it's this active relationship where you're inviting me to participate. I wanna say, I learned this from a professor a long time ago, a great, great word is to pray, is to say, Lord, open your word to me and open me to your word. Open your word to me and open me to your word. And we can see, Lord, what, what's going on in here? And it's a humbling thing. There are a lot of humbling uh, things that happen in our life when we do that. Uh, I, I have had some humbling revelations in my life. And, and one of them was uh, when I was in college. And I wanna preface this story by saying, I'm a pretty smart guy. I, I had a math degree. During this time, I was uh, kind of late getting into my major. So I, one semester I was taking differential equations, calculus three and linear algebra all in the same semester. It wasn't very fun. But this story, I, I'm prefacing with that because you're gonna doubt that I have any intelligence as I share this story. Because <laughs> I, I, I liked candy bars. And so I go into a gas station. It's like, man, I'm gonna get a candy bar. And I liked uh, the Almond Joy Mounds candy bars. And, but I always prefer the one with the nut. And you know how sometimes you think of a word, but you don't think about the word, you just assign it to something like umbrella. It's like, you don't think about the word umbrella. It's a strange word, but you just, oh, that's an umbrella. So you just assign it, your mind skips over any type of, you, I'm gonna keep on going, you're gonna catch it a second. Because I go into the gas station, I'm like, I want the one with the nut. And it's like, I have to sing the song in my head to find out which one has the nut. So it's like, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Almond joys have nuts, mounds don't. Okay, almond joy. And the same time period, I'm studying all these higher level mathematics. I come in and I'm like, I sing the song in my head and I'm like, and I grab a mounds. And then I get out to my vehicle and I start eating. I'm like, man, I messed up the one without the nut. And then I looked at it and I went, oh, it's called Almond Joy because there's an almond in it. It's got the name Almond Joy. The nut is in there. I don't have to sing the song ever again. And it was a humbling revelation. And hopefully you have similar stories you can share sometime. It's like, wow, almond. It is a nut, and I felt like a nut. So it can be like that with God's word. When we look at it, it's like, oh, and it's really humbling. And it's like, oh, I'd kind of rather live in ignorance. There, there's a verse in Galatians 6 where Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. It's like, yeah, I do that. I carry other people. I'm built to do that. I, 
my family of origin, the way I've done life. I'm, I'm kind of pre-wired to care too much. And it was some years ago preaching at Midtown. My wife, after a sermon, said, hey, Chad, why, why don't you share the stories with me that you share in your sermons? Because I didn't know that about you. And I'm like, um, I don't know. Let's... Let's think about that. And what I had found out is I, I thought, because I, I do desire to live a life of authenticity and, and sharing stuff, and I want people to know that they don't struggle alone. But I thought, man, on the intimacy range, I was like an eight or nine out of 10. And then that one simple question led a whole line of thought and looking at this passage and thinking, oh my goodness, the scale isn't out of 10, it's out of 100. And I'm an eight out of 100, and I don't share and then I started reflecting. I was like, I don't let people bear my burdens. And as I just dialogued with that for a few months with some friends, it's like, Chad, it may be because of your, your story. You don't feel like you're worthy to ask people for help. And then it can get even more convicting. It's like, I actually can short circuit people, people's ability to grow in Christ because I'm not letting them bear my burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And it was humbling, man. I wish, I can't explain how distraught in my soul I became. It was like, oh man, I was so blind to this. What other things must I be blind to? And it was in those moments that I was like, I think I just will not worry about this. I think I'm doing okay. But I feel like the Lord in his grace is like, my child, I got better for you. I got better for you. I want people to, bear your burdens because you matter. And I'm glad to say here today on the scale of hundred, I'm probably like a 14 or 15. I'm inching my way up. I still have much difficulty asking for help as friends can attest to at times, but I'm trying and I'm going to keep on looking in the mirror, but we know what it's like to look in the mirror. I have a precious six-year-old daughter, Juliet. She loves donuts with icing all over. She can eat that, and she just smears icing all over her face. And it's really cute. I like take pictures of it. But she can go look at the mirror and just go, oh, that's cute, and then just keep on going. It's like, hey, babe, you got something right here on your face. Let me wipe that off. It's cute with a child. It ain't so cute with an adult. But we're childlike in many ways when it comes to looking at this. Like, man, you look in the mirror and it's like, I'm just going to forget that. But it's revealing something. How is your scale broken? Mine's broken in different ways. But when James writes, everyone should be quick to listen. Is that you? Is that me? Slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God, the righteousness he desires. Therefore, get rid of all that other stuff. And it might be a Sunday gathering like this. It might be in a devotional time. It might be just hearing a praise song on the radio, whatever it may be, where God brings something to your heart, where you see yourself in a mirror and you can have two choices at that time to say, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'm gonna run away from that. Or with courage to say, I don't know how to deal with this, but I need to acknowledge that it's real. Because Paul puts it like this. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus sets you free. 
You don't have to be burdened by that yoke anymore of slavery. He has better for you. Will we struggle? Definitely. Are there some things that are lifelong battles? Absolutely. But there are two ways you can face that front. On your own, pretending, or with others, and participating with what God would have. And a question we often ask is sometimes like, your way, the way you're doing life, how's it working for you? How are your relationships? How is that working for you? That might be the best symptom today to say, it's not working. Then there's another way. In your bulletin, I put this, this quote from George Mueller, who's a famous uh, Christian. You can read snippets of his biography online or read it. Man of faith, open orphanages throughout his life, preached the word. Just crazy stories go on, though, in his life. But he says this about God's word, because this is a man who was shaped by God's word. And likewise, one of my heroes, Amy Carmichael, uh, missionary to India, started orphanages, and she was shaped by God's word. But this is what uh, George Mueller writes. He says, as the outward man is not fit for work for any length of time unless he eats, so is with the inner man. What is the food for the inner man? The word of God. Not the simple reading of the word of God, so that it only passes through our minds as water runs through a pipe. No, we must consider what we read, ponder over it, and apply it to our hearts. And I'm still fascinated in this day and age where so many can cram, and I can do this, I can cram information in my head and it doesn't seem to affect my heart. And sometimes the people that know the most about this book, frankly, they're angry people who are very harsh. And I'm like, I just don't think that matches, that doesn't add up. There's some disconnect here. What's going on? Because the call is to not say, just stick it here. It is, we do need to know the doctrines of God and what he's about, who he's like, but it's like, Lord, may it affect my heart, my soul. May I see your love and may I see that this is what's best for me. And then from here, may rivers of living water flow out as I'm affected by your word. James writes, Whoever looks intently, and this intently is like, man, it's the same word where Peter's looking intently at the grave that's empty, the tomb. It's intense. Looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so we, we're humbled by the word and we're shaped by the word. And by God's grace, we fall more in love with his word, not so that we know the book, but so we know him and his heart. We will know the book, but it points us to him. I've been thinking about Psalm 19 this week, and I'd like to read just a section because it's pretty radical when you hear how the psalmist has been humbled by the word, shaped by the word, and just eats and drinks the word. He says, the law, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And listen to this, he's, the mirror that he's allowing it, the word to be. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great word, reward but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. 
And also, what about the things he knows about? Keep your servant also from willful sins that they may not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And here's an awesome prayer. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Does the psalmist sound like he's been humbled by the word? Has he been shaped by the word? Has he fallen in love with the word? Yeah. And by God's grace, may we fall more in love with the word so that we can humble ourselves in this participation of life. And when we come to things that we look at and we're like, oh, that's terrible. That's yucky. We acknowledge, Lord, you've already seen all this. You already know. You know the junk in me that I don't even know that I couldn't even handle if you exposed right now. My head might blow up. But yet you love me, you chose me, and you invite me on the journey. And you're a good Abba. You're not only gonna, you're gonna bring up that which I can handle in community right now. So Lord, by your grace, show me, show me. And the promises, they will be blessed in what they do. And that comes to the final point, to be liberated by the word, to be liberated, to be set free. And this is the very reason Jesus came 700 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. Prophet Isaiah writes, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, set, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. The heart of God, his desire to find the brokenhearted and to bind up your heart to take people lost in darkness and move them to light. These are some of the same words that Jesus said when John the Baptist was doubting as he's in, in, in prison. It's like, hey, the lame are walking, the blind can see, the poor are getting the gospel message. And when I think about freedom, I think about simply being able to do what God has created us to do. Free to be who God's created us to be. And that, we get this when we think about the times in our lives where we have given our lives away to someone or we've, we've helped someone out that can't thank us and it fills us with joy. It's like, wow. When we lean on, on God for strength and he, he shows up in big ways and we're like, man, this is precious. And those times we do have peace that passes understanding. And we're able to, Say, Lord, by your grace, may my heart line up more with your heart. May my heart become more like your heart. And may your desires become my desires. Because James puts it like this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our, fathers, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we can come to this and we want to be reminded again that we can, we can despair easily, but we remember that growth takes time. An illustration I use a lot, it's from the green letters. It talks about a plant and we're symbolic of the plant here that if you take a plant and you stick it in a closet, there's no sunlight, you don't water it, there's no food, it's not going to thrive. It's going to just wither. But if you take the same plant stick it to where it's got direct sunlight, you give it water, you give it food, you play Mozart or Beethoven, classical music really helps plants grow 
so I hear, but you put it in the place of growth. But growth takes time. A little boy can move a sapling, but a hundred men cannot push down a grown tree. Growth takes time. And remember, God's at work and we want to stay in the process and just say, hey, if, if you've gone off, off, the, off the rails for a while, come on back. Let's keep going. You've been set free to grow into that freedom that God has, to live, to love. And uh, just as a final thought, I thought, you know, as, as James says, this is what pure religion is, thinking about as our hearts beat with the Father's heart, we will look to those who are in need because the Father looks for those who are brokenhearted to bind them up. And orphans and widows are part of that. And I was, I was talking about John and Kathy McGee in our first service. They sit up here. It's, they're just the sweetest couple you'll meet. And they've been working 30 years uh, with the elderly uh, who are suffering from dementia and other things. And they just have story. There's, I've been told story after story in our community about their love just being transformative. But it goes back, me knowing their story, that even in Mississippi where they were like, Jesus caught a hold of their hearts. And not all of our call is gonna be the same as that. But we support them and we say, hey, let's be for widows. And the same way with, or we have so many people who are in foster care and, and helping orphans. That shows the Father's heart. Our hearts are lining up. Many people in our midst are in the mental health profession, seeking to bind up the brokenhearted. Praise be to God. All of us are called to some sort of work as we are seeing our hearts affected, saying, this is a child of God, I'm for them. This is someone who's not yet a child of God, I wanna reach out to them. And as we live into this, we realize that our hearts are being changed. So as we come to communion, thinking about Jesus has set us free. And we know that it was because of his sacrifice on the cross that he gives us this sacred symbol. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we remember what he's done on the cross as he was raised from the dead. Remember what he promises to do when he comes back again. But we remember that today, today is the day that we're living. Today is the day that we are called to participate. Today is the day that we remember that his blood sealed the new covenant, that nothing can take us from the Father's hand. He sees everything that's in you, good and bad, all the junk, and he's inviting you to come along. And he says, look in the mirror. And I, I'd encourage you as you come forth to take communion today. Break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice or wine, whichever your conscience permits, if you're a believer in Christ here today. What you've seen in the mirror, what he's revealed to your heart, don't walk away. Come and say, Lord, I don't know exactly even what to do or how to, but take movements of faith to participate and say, hey, I'm gonna reach out, I'm gonna do something. Lord, help me to be changed because he wants what's best for you. And if you're not a Christian, the scriptures teach to not partake in the uh, communion meal, but the invitation is different. First of all, we're so thankful that you're here. Thank you for coming. Please keep coming. Let's dialogue about what it means to have a flourishing life. You can reason about it, talk about it. No pressure. 
but let's, let's do talk about what does God have for us and then move towards that. Let me pray for us.